Isaiah chapter 62 verses 6 through 12. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies. And foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored. But those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through. Go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Before we pray, <clears throat> I want to simply proclaim, as we should today, Merry Christmas. Finally, our long waiting for the incarnation through the season of Advent is over. Christ has come. Christ is come. And in our lectionary that we usually follow, there are multiple readings that are set aside for the Christmas feast, which is exactly what today is. Today is a feast day. And, and many of these texts we're very familiar with. Uh, others even from Isaiah himself, such as Isaiah chapter 9, specifically verses 6 and 7, where Isaiah writes this. <clears throat> he writes, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. There's also very familiar passages from the Gospel of Luke that we usually read around this time of year, especially surrounding the shepherds and the angels and the coming of the Magi that we will celebrate on Epiphany coming up. 
There's also even obviously other familiar texts like John chapter 1 in his in his beautiful prologue specifically where he says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. <clears throat> and so really with with these multiple readings and these plethora of readings there was a question I kept asking myself over the course of the past couple of weeks uh which is why why this text in Isaiah, right? Why, why is this one not only in the lectionary, but even more so? Why, why would I choose it, right? <laughs> why, why keep sticking with the Isaiah texts in the Old Testament on a day like today, on a feast day like today, such as Christmas? And really, I came down to two reasons, because really, I like to come up with reasons, right? And so there's two reasons. One is that because there are multiple texts, uh, the one that usually does the preaching gets to choose from the lectionary what text we actually look at and preach on. So if we're being honest, if the fact that you guys let me choose is kind of a huge mistake. Uh, I say that jokingly, but but really, you know, if you don't like Isaiah 62, then frankly, this is all your fault. Uh, <laughs> but, but more seriously, uh, today's text actually leads well into the text for next week, where we'll spend... One more week in Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 63, and then as Epiphany approaches, we will move back to the Gospels for the season of Epiphany. And so, as always with Isaiah, and even all of the Old Testament prophets, uh, there's, there's a lot of great content in this text, just in these six verses that we just read. But because it's Christmas, and really also partly because after the start of 2023, we're going to actually, in our Sunday school time, begin looking through the entire book of Isaiah. What I want to do today is just look at verses 12, uh, excuse me, 10, 11, and 12. So just the last three verses of this text. Because it's in this text, in in those three verses, that I think what Isaiah does is he actually gives us some really neat details that I think give us even more really cool reasons to be excited for the celebration of the Christmas feast. And now obviously there there's a lot that was accomplished through the incarnation of the Lord Jesus and is still being accomplished through the miracle that is God taking on flesh and dwelling among mankind. But as we look at these three verses today, I want us to just notice a few details of what Isaiah draws out for us here in this text. And some of them are this. I'm going to kind of spoil it and give you the spoilers up front. Some of them are this. What this text does in many ways is not only to help us bridge the seasons of Advent and Christmas, and then really honestly subsequently all of the other seasons we're getting ready to celebrate, but this text also helps to keep in our remembrance what we were and what we are without the work that has been accomplished through the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what this text does is it reminds us that without the work of God through Christ, we are forsaken. Without the miracle of the incarnation, we are not a people. Without the miracle of the incarnation and the work of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, we are abandoned. We are rejected. We have no hope. And so while we're only going to look at verses 10, 11, and 12 today, I do want to back up 
and I want to read the entirety of chapter 62 because I really think it helps to give us the context of how we can honestly celebrate even more the miracle of the Incarnation on this Christmas. Because what this does is it does point us not only to the Incarnation and the work of the Lord Jesus, but it also points us to ourselves as his bride, as his church, and also to the work that we have been commissioned to do. And so kind of like Linus explaining what Christmas is all about to Charlie Brown, let's just look at this chapter and then consider these three verses together and see how it really aids us in this celebration of the reason for the incarnation, the celebration of the reason that we actually have Christmas to begin with. So listen to the entirety of chapter 62, and then I'll briefly pray, and then we'll just look at uh, verses 10, 11, and 12. And so here's what the Lord proclaims through the prophet Isaiah, starting in verse 1 of chapter 62. He says, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness, and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married for the lord delights in you and your land shall be married for as a young man marries a young woman so shall your sons marry you and as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride so shall your god rejoice over you and now we're back to our text for today verse 6 On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies, And foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored. But those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord. Those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. So go through. Go through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up. Build up the highway and clear it of stones. Lift up a signal over the people's. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. If you would, join me in prayer briefly. Lord, we do give you praise and thanks for this day. We thank you, Lord God, for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for this feast of Christmas. 
Lord, where we celebrate the miracle that is the second person of the Trinity, the Son, the eternal Son, taking on flesh and dwelling among us. Lord, we thank you and give you praise, Lord, for the work of the Incarnation, Lord, and for the work of the Lord Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. So, as we get started this morning, let's let's set a bit more of the context, at least for our understanding. This is part of the reason why we read the whole chapter. So what this chapter does, chapter 62 actually ends a section of the book of Isaiah that Isaiah began back in chapter 60. And so there, starting in chapter 60, what Isaiah does is he shifts his focus to remind the people who are in exile, so the people of Israel and the people of Judah who are in Babylon, He's reminding them that God does have a greater work that will be accomplished through a future Redeemer. And this Redeemer in chapters 60 and 61, as they begin to unfold, this Redeemer, he proclaims a future glory for God's people. But also in chapter 61, he proclaims a coming year of the Lord's favor. And so then as we come to chapter 62, and specifically verses 10, 11, and 12 that we're looking at this morning, Isaiah ends this three-chapter section by presenting a call to action, particularly a call for preparation for this future glory and a preparation for this future year of the Lord's favor. This is really what we do in Advent every year, right? We are preparing for this. But then he also adds in verses 11 and 12, he he ends it with a message to proclaim to the nations. Specifically, a message that salvation is indeed coming. And so as we start here in verse 10, I want you to notice that there's really there's, there's a subtle change in tone from the previous nine verses of this chapter, which again is why we read the whole chapter. Verses 1 through 9 are delivered and written in such a way that what they do is that they highlight particular promises given by God for the purpose of assurance for the people. Assurance that he is a God who is faithful to his people. This is assurance that he is a God who will fulfill his promises to his people. And while the same can definitely be said of these final three verses, notice though that there is a tonal shift. There is a shift in tone between verses 9 and 10. A shift from really kind of passive Here's this promise, and here's this promise. Now to a tone of imperative or command. So listen again. Just You'll notice this in verse 10. Listen to it again. Isaiah writes here, and God proclaims. He says, go through. That's a command. That's not a suggestion. It's a command. He says, go through. Go through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Again, another command. Build up. Here's a command. Build up the highway and clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. The Septuagint is actually really quite interesting here. Instead of saying, go through the gates, the Septuagint directly translates it as, go through my gates and prepare the way for my people. So what this is, this is, this is very intentional preparation language. Now, as preparation language, this should be very familiar to us by this point at Christ's community, specifically at a church where we have celebrated Advent for now a few decades. Because this preparation language 
This is, this is the kind of work that takes place before the arrival of a king, right? The roads are prepared. The fallen limbs and the stones, they're removed out of the roads so that when the king comes, he might travel on smooth roads and so that he might arrive at his destination free of obstacles that might hinder his journey. But then interestingly... We notice here in verse 10, he says, go through, go through the gates or go through my gates. And so I'm looking at this and I'm asking myself this question. Well, what what do gates have to do with this, right? I mean, I can understand the roads. I understand the preparation. I understand really even how this fits in with John the Baptist and Advent. But but what what do these gates have to do with it? So we start to look at the history, right? We look at the, the context here. And contextually and historically, we can understand that these gates could symbolize two things. They could symbolize the gates of Babylon, where the people are currently in exile, but they could also symbolize the gates of Jerusalem, which have now been rebuilt. And so these have both been now thrown open, the gates of Babylon, they've been thrown open so that the people may now return from exile, but the gates of Jerusalem have also been thrown open so that the people could return to the promised land. The way has also been prepared here. What we get by these gates being mentioned is that the way has also been prepared for people to return home. So let's let's bring this forward. What we understand here is that the way has been prepared for the people to receive the Christ now that the Christ has come in the flesh. What this is, what this verse tells us is that this is the culmination of our Advent preparation every single year. Because every Advent, we're reminded of the work of John the Forerunner, John the Baptist, the one who comes wandering out of the wilderness, wearing clothing indicative of these Old Testament prophets, and who proclaims, prepare. He says, prepare the way of the Lord and prepare by making his paths straight. Or to just use the language of Isaiah here in Isaiah 62.10, Remove the stones. Prepare by removing the stones. Prepare by building up the highway. Prepare by making the road smooth and making it free from obstacles. Prepare because the sovereign is on his way. Or in our case this morning on Christmas Day in 2022, prepare the way of your hearts and minds and build them up. Clear them of stones so that the king might arrive and begin his work in you. Matthew Henry, the, I believe, 16th century pastor from from the UK, he he proclaims this here. He says this. He says, this verse, this way is to be made for salvation because all difficulties are now being removed and whatever might obstruct salvation will be completely taken out of the way. And so what Isaiah then does in this same verse, once again, is he draws upon this key phrase that he used just two weeks ago when we were looking at Isaiah 35. He writes here again, he says, Go through the gates and prepare the way for the people and build up the highway. So just two weeks ago on the third Sunday of Advent, if you remember from Isaiah 35 verse 8, we read this. Isaiah proclaimed, he said, A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. 
So here again, in this verse now, in chapter 62, Isaiah is drawing upon the same imagery of a way and a highway, and he has very similar intentions and a similar meaning behind it. So while in chapter 35, he notes that only the righteous will walk upon this highway, and the case is still the same here. In chapter 62, though, what God is doing is he is expanding our definition by showing us that the righteous also encompass a great host of people. So again, Isaiah writes here in verse 10, he says this, prepare the way for the people. Some translations you might be looking at might read something like this. It might say instead, prepare the way for the arrival of many nations. Or again, I love how the Septuagint does this. The Septuagint is more direct. It just says this. It says, prepare the way for the Gentiles and prepare the way for my people. So this tells us that on Christmas, this highway is not only being and has not only been prepared for the coming of the king himself, but this highway is also the same highway that God will use and is still using today to bring his people to himself. Not only for salvation, but to bring them to himself for all time and for the purpose of making them his own possession. Church Father Jerome writes this. He says, he says, note the exact words here. He says, note that there are no rocks, that there are no thorns or thistles, and that the path is even. It's even. So it's flat. It's plain. It's even where Christ may walk, and he will not stumble. Jerome goes on, he says, Therefore, let us make way for the Lord in our own hearts, the way for which John the Baptist gave his life's efforts. John proclaims this preparation, lest Christ stumble on stones when he is ready to walk into our hearts. He says that the stones he bids us to throw away are our sins. So prepare the way for Christ, and he will set his steps in us. And then if this wasn't clear enough, what Isaiah does here in verse 10 is he closes out this verse by just stating this. He says, lift up a signal over the peoples. Again, the Septuagint is very direct. It says, lift up a standard for the Gentiles. And now we really come even more so to the truth that we are reminded of every Christmas as we celebrate the miracle of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus. And it's this. It's that Christ himself is the signal. Christ himself is the standard that has been lifted up over the peoples. This command would be fulfilled in his incarnation, but it is also fulfilled in his, in his death and in his resurrection. Because this is the whole point of even observing the celebratory season every single year the way we do. As Jesus would tell Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, verse 14, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so also must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What we read here is that Christ is the signal that has been lifted up over the peoples. This is exactly what we have been preparing our hearts and our minds to celebrate throughout the season of Advent and what we prepare our hearts and minds to celebrate every time we observe the season of Advent.
Christ Jesus is our standard. Christ Jesus is our signal. And he has come and he continues to serve as the signal and as the standard. So this morning, as we celebrate the incarnation on Christmas Day and through the season of Christmas Tide, prepare the way. Prepare the way for the people of God. Go through the gates and lift up the standards. Lift up the standard for the nations. But notice, though, as we move into verses 11 and 12, that on the heels of this preparation, a message is also to be proclaimed. And that message, according to verse 11, is simply this. Verse 10, prepare the way. Because, verse 11, salvation is indeed coming. Matthew Henry, he notes here, he just says plainly, he says, this verse is the notice that has been posted of the coming salvation. And so here's what Isaiah writes. He says again, Behold, Yahweh has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. And behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. So if you noticed here in this verse, if you're looking at it as as you're listening, there are three beholds in this verse, which tells us that this verse is actually, this, this entire verse is actually broken up into three parts by these interjections of the word behold. And the first announces that God has made a declaration that is addressed to all people in all nations. He says, behold, Yahweh has proclaimed, and he has proclaimed it to the end of the earth. Again, I can't help but love the way the Septuagint translates this. The the Septuagint just says this. It says, the Lord has caused this to be heard to the ends of the earth. So what this not only includes, this not only includes the preparation and the building up of the the way that we just read about in verse 10, but it also includes the lifting up of the signal, or it includes the lifting up of the banner or the, the standard for all to see so that they might know the way out of exile and to God's salvation. One commentator writes here, he says that God has proclaimed to all captives that they may go if they please, that they may go from Babylon, that they may go from sin, from hell, from death, from exile, but that they may also go to Zion. They may go to salvation. That's the first behold. The second behold we see there is right in the middle. He says, behold, here is exactly what you need to say to the ends of the earth and to the daughter of Zion. Behold, your salvation comes. This is a great proclamation for Christmas Day because what this is is this is the inauguration of God's kingdom on earth. Salvation has come, and it has come in the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third part of this verse, this third behold, announces the outcome of God's salvation. And Isaiah explores this even more so in verse 12. But here in verse 11, we read this. He says, Behold, your salvation comes, and behold, his reward is with him. And his recompense is before him. We read that God's salvific work includes a a recompense, a repayment, a reward. Again, I love the Septuagint here. The Septuagint is almost 
much more helpful in these three verses. It says this, Behold, your Savior is come and has his reward and his work in front of his face. So let's put these three together, and then we'll move on to verse 12. In these three together, what we have is a proclamation that God's work of salvation is not limited to an ethnic daughter of Zion, meaning it is not limited to Old Testament Israel and Judah. But rather, as we understand this passage through the miracle of the incarnation of Christ, we understand that God's salvation work expands the definition of God's covenant people to include the entirety of mankind, to, into, to include the entirety of the peoples to the ends of the earth that walk upon the highway of the way called holiness, that walk upon the way that has been prepared not only for the coming king, but the highway that has been prepared that leads to God's salvation. And that highway, just like the signal, is Christ himself. Theodoret of Seir doesn't play around with any kind of cryptic interpretation of this passage. I love what he says about this. And he states plainly here, he says that Isaiah is pointing directly to the work of the Lord Jesus. And he writes this, he says, What God has proclaimed to the ends of the earth here is not the reconstruction of Jerusalem. But instead, he is proclaiming the incarnation. He is proclaiming the cross. He is proclaiming the passion of Christ. He is proclaiming the resurrection. He is proclaiming the ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit and all of the benefits thereof. And so God commands the heralds to prepare the road and to make it level. And then, says Theodoret, then... Once the route has been arranged, he commands the heralds to say, Behold, your Savior has come to you. What Theodoret is saying is that this is all about Jesus. This is about the signal and the standard that has been lifted up so that all who might look upon him might believe and have life in his name. Cyril of Alexandria picks up on this same command, but then what he does is he does something really neat. He turns it around and he reminds the church itself of her work and her duty. And he writes that the church is the daughter of Zion. It's not ethnic Israel. It is the entirety of the church. The bride of Christ is the daughter of Zion. And so because the church is the daughter of Zion, Cyril says that this proclamation comes with a work for the church to do. And he states this. He says, this text forecasts the coming of the Savior, and our redemption by his coming. But it also foretells the granting of riches to those who believe in Christ. And then he asks a question. He asks this. He says, from whom does God command to proclaim good news to Zion? He answers the church. Then he asks another question. Whose job is it to open the gates and to remove the stones from their midst? Again, he answers it. He says, it's the church. And what are we to announce, he asks? We are to announce that the Savior himself has come. And so with, with Christ in mind and with the church in mind, what Isaiah closes here with is really helpful. He closes here in verse 12 by stating this. He says, and they, 
the daughter of Zion, they shall be called, the peoples shall be called the holy people and the redeemed of Yahweh. And you shall be called sought out and a city not forsaken. And notice again how this entire passage, and by the time we get here to verse 12, how each clause really in this verse really enhances our celebration on Christmas. Because he starts out here, he says, they, speaking about the daughter of Zion, about the church, about the peoples that have had the signal lifted up and the highway prepared for, he says, they shall be called the holy people. This tells us we are no longer a wandering people. But as Peter reminds us in in 1 Peter chapter 2, those who are called to Christ, those for whom the highway has been prepared and who walk upon that highway, these are a people for God's own possession. These are a people who are now a holy nation. We are now a royal priesthood. We are a chosen race. We are a people who are made the holy people by the holiness of Christ Jesus himself. And this could not have happened without the miracle of his incarnation. But notice, too, as you keep moving through verse 12, we also see that the same people are also called the redeemed of the Lord. Matthew Henry proclaims here, he says, he says, to Christ Jesus we owe our liberty, and therefore to Christ we owe our service, and we shall not be ashamed to own both. But then he says this, he says, none are to be called the redeemed of the Lord except those who are also the holy people because they have been purchased by God. And because of Christ, because of the miracle of his incarnation, because of the work and reward and recompense that is before his face, we are given these new titles of the holy people and the redeemed of Yahweh. But then in these last two clauses, we see that because of Jesus, we are not only given new titles of the holy people and the redeemed of the Lord, but we're also given new names. He says this, he closes out, he says, And you shall be called, sought out, and a city not forsaken. So really to understand the weight behind this last clause, we really need to grasp the heaviness of what true exile actually means. So this is not only exile from the promised land that Judah and Israel were experiencing as they were exiled in Babylon, but this is even more so the exile from the Lord God himself. So if you're following along in your Bible, turn back or scroll up to verses 2 and 4 in this exact same chapter. Because listen to what God promises in those two verses as it relates to what we're looking at here at the end of verse 12. In Isaiah 62, verse 2, God proclaims this. He says, The nations shall see your righteousness, and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of Yahweh will give. God himself from his own lips will give us a new name. And then in verse 4, he, he, continue, he picks it back up. He says, You shall no more be termed or be called by the name forsaken. 
and your land shall no more be called by the name desolate. But you shall be named, my delight is in her, and your land married. Because Yahweh delights in you, and your land shall be married. And as we look there again at the end of verse 12, And you shall be named, sought out, and a city not forsaken. Every single person who is in exile is cut off from God. They are cut off from the land. This was true in a very real physical sense in their minds for the people of Israel and Judah as they sojourned in exile in Babylon. But this is still true today for every single person who is in exile because they have yet to believe in the Lord Jesus. But thankfully, because it's Christmas Day and we are celebrating the incarnation because of Christ, because of him taking on flesh, this exile is no longer true for anyone who belongs to God through Christ, and it will never be true again for those who belong to God through Christ. We have not been forgotten. We have not been forsaken. Instead, as Jesus tells Zacchaeus in Luke 19, he says, Today, salvation has come into this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Because of the incarnation of Jesus, we have been renamed as sought out and as a city not forsaken. These new names are a witness to the total transformation of a sinful people into a people who are set apart for the Lord God. And they remind us, these new names remind us and they remind the world around us that being sought out and being the redeemed of God is completely done by the work of God and God alone and was accomplished through the miracle of the incarnation. And so as we close, here is our quote-unquote cheesy term, Christmas commission for Christmas tide. Proclaim and celebrate and worship the miracle of the incarnation today. Absolutely. That is exactly what this feast day is all about. But as believers in Christ, we also know that there is so much more that has been accomplished and brought about because of the incarnation. This feast day leads to other feast days. What has been accomplished is nothing short of being sought out and being redeemed by God himself to make us his own possession. Because today, salvation has come to this house. Since through Christ Jesus, we are also made sons of Abraham. Praise be to God and Merry Christmas. Christmas.